0: Essentially, you'll hear the stories you won't find on their professional bios. And of course, you'll learn a bit about their practice. Now let's get to the episode. This episode features a conversation with John Israel. John is a partner and experienced labor and employment attorney in Foley's New York office, where he's also co chair of Foley's sports and entertainment industry team. In this discussion, John reflects on growing up in Palos Verdes, California, attending Harvard University for undergrad and Columbia Law School. This discussion was particularly fun for me because I first connected with John in the spring and summer of 2020 as we were all wrapping our minds around the renewed racial justice movement, and John took a lead role in bringing racial equity education to Foley's New York office. So although I've spoken to John a number of times, this discussion was actually the first time I would talked to him about his practice at Foley. During our conversation, he reflects on his path to law school. You'll learn how he was not someone who always knew he wanted to be a lawyer, but that a job in PR and job as a paralegal exposed him to big law and made him think, hey, that's something I think I can do. So subsequently, he attended Columbia. You'll also hear how he decided to focus on labor and employment and how that practice focus is what led him to have an opportunity to go in-house for the National Basketball Association. John talks about the seven years he spent working for the NBA. He reflects on his decision to subsequently return to private practice and to join Foley and Lardner. We talk a bit about John's day-to-day practice at Foley, and I get him to discuss his role as co-chair of the sports and entertainment industry team. And one of the most interesting parts of this podcast, I think, is actually when John shares a bit about the history of Foley and Lardner and professional sports. Finally, we wrap up the show with John talking about what it is that has kept him at Foley, what he really loves about the firm, and also with him giving some great advice on the importance of taking ownership of your career. I hope you enjoy my conversation with John Israel. John, welcome to the podcast. I'm going to have you start how I start all of these shows, which is asking you to give your professional introduction.
1: Hi there. My name is John Israel. I'm a partner at Foley and Lardner. In the New York office, I am a labor and employment lawyer by training, and I am currently the co-chair of Foley's Sports and Entertainment Group.
0: I'm excited to unpack all of that. As some of the listeners know, or may know, for a full year and a half, I was a dedicated labor and employment lawyer, and I don't know how I would have bridged the gap to also be sports and entertainment. So that's what we will talk about eventually, but first everyone has to wait for us to get there because we're gonna start somewhat at the beginning, which is where are you from? Where did you grow up?
1: Well, I was born on the East Coast. I was born in Baltimore. My parents were originally from Philadelphia. And at the age of two, I guess, my dad took a role in the Navy as a physician and flew the whole family out to San Diego, where I spent two years and then moved to Los Angeles when my dad took a position at USC as a medical professor and, and doctor. And I grew up in the Los Angeles area in a quite idyllic place called Palos Verdes.
0: All right. If I was to ask you for a snapshot of life when you were in, say, I don't know, elementary school or middle school, what were your interests? What were you into? Well,
1: I was mostly a student, a soccer player, and, you know, I did a lot of different things as I was growing up, learning how to play music, piano, things like that. I was fortunate enough to have parents introduce me to those kinds of things, but, you know, lived in a, as I said, in a really nice beach town in, in California. So summers were often at the beach, but soccer was a main focus for me and spent a lot of time doing that.
0: So if I was to stereotype, someone might assume there was surfing in there, but it sounds like it was more soccer <laughs> than surfing.
1: <laughs> I was a terrible surfer. I did try it. I could never get myself up on the board, so... I had lots of friends that did it who tried to get me to do it, and I just couldn't quite handle it. So I was not the California surfer type.
0: You're like, nope, I will stay on land with the soccer ball. All right, so take me into, say, high school, when you're starting to think about college, where did you decide to go? And did you have any idea of what you wanted to focus on while you were there?
1: no real idea what I wanted to focus on, but I was always sort of motivated to go to the best school I could get into. I think that was where that came from. I have really no idea. Uh, I was very active in student government, president of the school, that kind of stuff. So I was very, very involved in that kind of activity. I was, of course, still playing a lot of soccer. There was some possibility that I might be recruited by some teams out of the Ivy League and had some opportunities there, but it wasn't really my main focus. I just wanted to go to the best school I could get into. And though I didn't really want to leave California either. So there was a bit of tension. I was looking both on the East coast in California and I was very close to going to Berkeley. And then I got into Harvard and I just couldn't say no. And I wanted to come back East and experience that, uh, I guess, return to my roots. And so I came back to Boston
0: yeah, that's a big move, though, for someone growing up in California to go to the other side of the country. Were your parents, I mean, it's Harvard, so I assume they they support it, but you were a ways away.
1: Well, they were, you know, from the East Coast, too, so I think they True. were fairly supportive of experiencing life on both sides of the country, and I just was ready to try something different. I didn't want to leave the comfort of the nice California sun and the beaches and a lot of good friends, but this was an adventure, and I was on my way to Cambridge and really had an incredible four years there.
0: What did you major in?
1: I was a sociology major. I would say I was very liberal arts. My parents still sort of joke around with me. It's like, ah, when I looked at your course load, it was like, what were you taking? Death in the West and philosophy. (laughs) I was, you know, look, I was just happy to be there. I really felt like I wanted to just try everything I possibly could uh, experience, different subjects, and sociology kind of fit the bill. It allowed me to do a lot of different things. I did play soccer there for a couple years. Unfortunately, I just couldn't, you know, crack the varsity team. And mm-hmm. I ended up playing rugby for two and a half seasons and spent a lot of time with the rugby team there. Ended up, uh, was a captain of that team and really got into that sport. So again, more sports, Uh, expanding my interests. And, uh, you know, had a really great four years with a lot of really good, good people.
0: I do have to ask, sociology, was that something that you sort of settled on after having taken a number of courses? Or was there this, I want to be a sociologist?
1: (laughs) I don't think I ever really wanted to be a sociologist. I, I think I had some designs on being a doctor when I first went to college following my dad's footsteps or something, but science really wasn't my bag. I just didn't really like it that much. And I like to write and I like to think, and I just felt that, you know, sociology was a good fit because it really gave me an open landscape to study what I wanted to study and spend the time when I wanted to spend the time. It was a good fit for me at the time in terms of where my head was at.
0: You're not the first guest on the show who's mentioned the word thought about being a doctor, but science really wasn't <laughs> for me. So we're, we're perpetuating some stereotypes about lawyers. You know, just I have to say you're in good company. So you finish at Harvard and then then what happens?
1: Well, again, it was sort of like I was just living in the, the moment. I hadn't done much planning. What was going to be the next move for me? Was I going to go back to California? There was a lot of thought in my mind that I might just do that. But I had finally gotten to New York City as a senior. It took me three years to get there. I thought it would be a little overwhelming. And it was in its own way. But I spent some time there and fell in love with New York. And a lot of my friends were going to the city. So whatever I was going to be doing, I felt like it was going to be there. And at this time, just for purposes of this conversation, I had no idea I wanted to be a lawyer or go to law school.
0: That's always the question. Where does law school come from?
1: (laughs) (laughs) And when I graduated, not even a thought. I mean, my exposure was probably, I don't even know if LA Law was on at that time, but seriously, I mean, that was, I think maybe a couple of years after I got out of school. I can't remember, but I never thought about it. My dad was a doctor. My mom was a teacher and psychologist and i just had never really been exposed to it at all wow
0: so close that gap for me where does the (laughs) decision come to go to law school plus where did you go to law school
1: i took the summer in la i coached soccer camps um, which i did every summer while i was in college and i decided my friends were moving to new york so i moved back to new york i didn't know what i would do but i found a job and i was working in public relations Because I wanted to write, and I thought that would be really interesting. It turns out it wasn't so interesting, but this is what actually got me into law. I was working at a PR company that was doing PR for law firms. And my job was to help them get their name in the paper, right? So I was working on that, and when I started to learn more about what these large law firms were doing, I was like, wow, this looks kind of interesting.
0: I could do that. Right,
1: that's like... You know, I was writing press releases and stuff like that, which was interesting. But I thought, this looks a little different and maybe more up my alley. I got to learn more about this. So I went on to paralegal for two and a half years before I even went to law school. I worked at a large law firm in New York, spent a year in D.C. just to feel like what D.C. was all about. And through that experience, you know, most people say, oh, you're a paralegal. You don't that should tell you you don't want to be a lawyer. Well, it did the exact opposite for me. I actually realized I think I could really enjoy this. I could be a lawyer even in the large law firm. And this is what I want to do. And it made, I think, the choice to go to law school and spend that time and money right on target. Like, there was no doubt. And it made made law school an enjoyable academic experience. And I ended up at Columbia and... You know, had a great time there doing some clinical work and other things. And I just liked being a student in law school. It sounds like most people wouldn't say.
0: Yeah, I will unpack that a little bit. Just make a couple observations because it is wonderful that you are exposed to law through being a paralegal from the PR perspective as well because i think a lot of people aren't and i have made that joke with paralegals who decide to go on to be lawyers and i was like so you knew exactly what you were signing up for <laughs> before you did this right cuz a lot of lawyers don't right a lot of a lot you know myself included i do not have that exposure so i think that's great and then you mentioned being at at columbia and it sounds like overall you enjoyed the experience did you find academically adjusting to law school to be a challenge at all or was it just like fun to learn
1: well i took three years off and that made a big difference for me you know sociology was interesting i would say i probably wasn't you know didn't apply myself to the fullest extent when i was in college and so I felt like, you know, I had spent time working pretty hard as a paralegal and it was like a job, you know, I treated it like a job, Mm -hmm. at least in my approach. But then, you know, I really enjoyed unpacking the federal court stuff. So whether it was constitutional law and analyzing Supreme Court decisions, things like that. I was just I just really enjoyed it. First Amendment. I mean, there were some really great courses. You know, I was enjoying it for what it was. At that point in my life, you know, having spent some time in work, having gone through college and now, you know, immersing myself in something that I thought was pretty interesting and the way it was sort of creating the way to think to me was always something I began to appreciate in terms of analyzing problems.
0: And did you know in law school, had you had a sense as to the practice area you wanted to focus on or how did you figure that out?
1: I don't think I had a design on anything other probably than litigation, because, again, I enjoyed writing creative briefs, and I loved that process. I had been mostly a bankruptcy paralegal before I went to law school, and that was a pretty lively and active practice. I didn't think I would want to become a bankruptcy lawyer, per se, but I enjoyed that experience. Didn't really know I wanted to be a labor and employment lawyer either at the time. A lot of that just came as a part of the work I began to do as an associate at a law firm. And I, I did do a quick one year clerkship in the district court in Newark, which I think, you know, pretty much solidified the litigation approach for me and I had really enjoyed that. Again, learning and experiencing federal court practice, you know, was unique and different and
0: it's important too. I felt
1: like I had the foundation to go do that work. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So we were talking about this before we start, we pressed record, which is, you know, we have a lot of ground to cover. And my challenge always, particularly with the partners who've been practicing for a while, is the pacing to get to where we want to get to. So we will not, you know, for the listener, we're not going to go through every year of your practice. But if I could get sort of your early reflections on maybe life as that junior associate, it sounds like you started at a firm with thin litigation. This is after clerking do you recall what the adjustment was like to trying to be a real lawyer? Or was it because you'd clerked him at a paralegal? Do you felt like you could kind of maybe hit the ground running a little bit more?
1: Well, I do think that experience helped me, you know, in every way. I mean, being a paralegal helped me in law school. And I think it trained me. I still use those skills today as a partner, you know, some years later, you know, what I learned as a paralegal is still important. You know, it's like, Kind of silly at times well where's that how's that staple looking on that page you know we don't even use staples anymore so you know, at this point everything's electronic but stuff like that just sort of stays mm-hmm. with you the sort of ref- refinement on every element of what you're doing and creating you know the perfect product was certainly ingrained from being a paralegal but as a junior associate you know i just jumped in i was hard worker and applied myself and tried to navigate my way through law firm life and do the work that really interested me. And I feel that's a lesson to be learned for lots of associates, which I'm happy to talk about to the extent it's relevant. But, you know, I found an area of interest, which was labor and employment. And I ended up doing that kind of work, whether it was employment discrimination type litigation restrictive.
0: Was that pretty early on within the first few years? That was
1: pretty early on. It was pretty early on. And and it was one of those things where the practice area was developing. It allowed me the types of cases that we were doing. It just, it gave opportunities for junior associates to actually really get hands-on experience.
0: So you said two things that I want to follow up on. One is about the practice area developing and the other, maybe we should do these in reverse order, but the other was about finding a practice area you really like, and you said you could say more about that, but I, I want you to say more about that. I know, that I just circle didn't back. know where the
1: timing is.
0: Right, that will circle back to the practice area itself. But yeah, what? say more about the importance of finding an area you really like.
1: Well, having the opportunity to explore is one thing, but knowing that you have the ability within these large law firms to try to chart your own course is something that's really important and something that I try to impress upon new lawyers when I speak to them about, you know, what life is going to be like. Because I do think there's some degree of control here. Those that wait around for assignments to drop in their lap tend to be the ones that don't get the assignments that they want. And the ability to be a little proactive in terms of what you're doing, obviously it requires good work. But once you establish that, your ability to go out and you know, find the work you want to do, work with the people you want to work with is something that's a lot more in an associate's control than they think. And whether it's indirect or subtle, it, it takes a little bit of proactivity to, to get out there and do that. And I think it's important because you want to see people happy in what they're doing.
0: Yes. And you see me nodding a lot because Mm -hmm. so a few episodes back, I had Rebecca Bradley on our director of professional development. Because yes, as large law firms, we have all these formal ways to help you. But at the end of the day, you're working with people and the person who raises their hand and says, you know, maybe it's a second year, John, really interested in doing X, Y, Z. Maybe you don't have something for them at that moment. But Maybe you think of them two months from now versus that person just hoping that one day you give them a phone call, which is likely not going to happen. And I think that's really great advice because you are are balancing where the firm is busy, where they have work, but you can also try new things and see if certain areas light you up more than others and take it from there. So that advice is well taken. But also knowing that you started your legal career, it sounds like it's probably like mid-90s or so we're talking about and we're talking labor and employment. I think a lot of people may not be aware that some of the labor and employment laws we've come to know and love, some of them were established in the mid 90s. Like the practice really was growing, I think, and changing in a way that it's easy to forget. So I don't know if you could say a little bit more about the practice area growing at that time.
1: Yeah, look, I think you could look at a large law firm and how that practice area has transitioned over a period of time. A lot of traditional labor lawyers doing union related work Then you have the EEO laws that sort of began to bloom and grow. And I think there were a lot of lawyers that were more senior than I that were transitioning into this new area of, you know, employment discrimination. And so there was a lot of litigation that began to develop around that. And as I said, there were a lot of opportunities to take on single plaintiff cases where you were, you know, leanly staffed. And it was an opportunity for young associates like myself at the time to actually do what we would call the real work which was working with clients taking the depositions you know really managing the case and i wanted that opportunity and it was really again i had those opportunities and it just developed into a practice area for me and i began to do more and more of that work and then it also included some of the traditional labor components which kind of got me into the entertainment and sports realm
0: Yes. So talk about that. That sounds like a natural segue to get it. Yeah. yeah, Say more.
1: As a you know a junior associate, I began to work. I was a general practitioner in the field. I wasn't siloed into wage hour cases or just employment discrimination. Fortunately, I was trained pretty much in every angle of labor and employment, and included traditional labor. So whether it was collective bargaining. Union organizing drives. I began to work on those types of matters which were really fun and interesting. And at the time I was very focused on a lot of music venues in New York City. We had a client that I spent a lot of time with and they were being organized and we had on various fronts. And so I was, you know, right in the heart of some union organizing campaigns and doing a bunch of collective bargaining at various concert venues around the New York area. So it was a little bit of entertainment. I was taking in a Bob Dylan concert here and there and doing some interesting stuff while I was working. But I loved the area and focus, but it did help establish a little bit that sort of entertainment component. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I was lucky enough to be working on a matter that involved some baseball salary arbitration, which gave me a little bit of sports. And then the NBA came along.
0: All right, we're going to talk about that, but I'm sort of laughing as you say your story because I I mentioned how, so most of my my practice of the, seven and a half years. So I practiced the bulk. I was a commercial litigation attorney, but for some of it, I was labor and employment because I lateral to a different firm. But for me, time in the field was spent collecting declarations at a popular chain restaurant that I spent, you know, the better part of two weeks in and never saw the light of day. So I was like, wow, to be at a, at a concert venue would have been really interesting (laughs) compared to some of the time I spent. But anyway, you were sharing that segue because, you know, not to spoil the story for our listeners, but you know, you've know you been at Foley for the better part of the last decade. But before that, you were in-house at the NBA. So it sounds like we're starting to lay some of the groundwork for how that transition came to be. So, yeah, I would love if you would, would say more and discuss that transition from law firm to in-house. And I, I may be skipping past some things. And if I am, p- please yeah. feel free to take me Look. back.
1: Well, the only thing I would say, I was a pretty happy outside lawyer. I was doing really interesting work. I loved the people I was working with. And I had no reason to leave or I wasn't looking to leave, you know, the practice. I was really enjoying myself. So it wasn't like I was out looking for a job, but a headhunter called about this NBA job that was looking to be filled. And they were really looking for a labor and employment lawyer to come in and help them across the board. And I was like, okay, uh, I don't know. I don't really I'm not looking to do this, but sure I'll throw my name sure. in the hat. Sure. You know, and the next thing I knew, I was working at the NBA. It was a difficult thing to turn down.
0: <laughs> yeah, and what what was the job there? What were the What did you do while you were there?
1: Well, it was a it was a really interesting opportunity for me and a great experience. They hadn't technically had a A labor and employment attorney, though lots of attorneys there spend their time on collective bargaining with the players and and other pieces of the company. But someone who had been trained in labor and employment, whether it was employment discrimination and all those things, they just hadn't had anyone do that. So they were looking for that kind of capacity. At the time, the league office was maybe 1,200 employees, actually. There was a broadcast facility out in Secaucus, at the time with NBA TV and, you know, there were a lot of employees. So the place had grown pretty dramatically in sort of the post-Jordan years and they had layered in a lot of lawyers and- la- yeah, how la- many
0: lawyers? What, what did the <laughs> legal department look like, like generally in size when you joined?
1: I can't even remember the number then, but it's even bigger now. Of course. It's really, yep. really, really grown. But it was perfect in a lot of ways for me because I went in My practice really didn't change in a weird way. I was counseling the various components of the business on labor and employment things. I was working on sort of general counsel-y stuff, not necessarily labor and employment. But I was doing player grievances, so arbitration. So technically, I was still litigating, even as an in-house lawyer, because we handled a lot of those matters internally for the teams. Mm -hmm. And I was engaged in collective bargaining, whether it was with the players, the referees, or, you know, the NABIT outfit in Secaucus. So I was still doing a lot of the same stuff that I was doing as an outside counsel, just doing it all internally.
0: I have to ask, because listeners will wonder, were there perks to being in-house at the NBA? <laughs> I mean, did you get good tickets to things, like any anything like that? Well,
1: sure. I mean, there was always opportunities to go to games, but at the time... It was interesting. I had a young family, babies, just had twins born, I think, you know, at one point I found out I was having twins, which would have been my second and third kids the day before I was starting the job. Wow. So... You know, I was busy. I was busy working, but busy focused on that. There wasn't actually a lot of time to enjoy the perks of, of basketball. Well, and also, the
0: way that you say it indicates that it was a busy time because you're like, I think I had twins at one point. I don't know. <laughs> life life was a bit of a whirlwind. The well, children are trying, still around. <laughs> yeah. Well, I
1: was just trying to figure out how it all played out. But at the time, you know, they were young and family was important and spent, wanted to spend yeah. more time on that. So if there was free time, it was probably spent with them versus going to the garden and watching the Knicks game.
0: Absolutely. Well, and in those seven years, because we have some ground to cover, of course, with your time at Foley, but in those seven years, did your job responsibilities at all grow or change and expand while you were there?
1: I guess I would say... Did they grow? They, you know, I had my own sort of role at, at the NBA doing a lot of different things, and I felt, you know, somewhat autonomous, you know, I reported into the general counsel, et cetera. And I, I felt like I had my space and place there that had I stayed another 25, 30 years, that could have just been my space and place. Ultimately, I left, as you see. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so can
0: you speak a little to that transition and then why, why Foley? Why you decided to join Foley after the NBA? Well,
1: it was hard to leave, but I also knew I needed to do something else for myself. Most people thought I was crazy. There's not a lot of people that leave those jobs, which is another reason why I felt like I needed to go because a lot of the lawyers that were above me had already been there. They were ahead of me. And, you know, I just felt. I could do this for a long time, but I don't I don't know whether I want to do it forever in this capacity. So I liked what I was doing as an outside lawyer. And that goes back to what I was doing as an in-house lawyer. I didn't feel like I had really missed much of a beat in terms of being an outside practitioner. I liked it. it took me a little time to just sort of get around to say, yeah, I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. But I said, I'm going to go for it. And I want to be involved in a large law. Ultimately, I went actually went back to where I had been previously. Ultimately, once I had my own sort of client base, I I made my way to Foley. And it's always been about finding the the right practice. It's a great national labor employment practice. I always had to have that, but really wanted a really solid sports and entertainment type group, which you know we had here and now have even more so of, in my view, and be part of a firm that I like the feel of personality wise, where I felt like I'd fit in and fully just sort of check the boxes for me on all those fronts.
0: Well, you said a number of things that of course I have to follow up on. But the first is, tell me about your practice today. What are the things you work with clients on?
1: Well, look, I'm still a functioning labor and employment lawyer. So whether it's, again, the array of litigation types and counseling that I've always done, whether it's handbooks, policies, restrictive covenants, employment discrimination, traditional labor, you know, I'm still doing that work and not necessarily for sports related clients. And so I'm focused on that. But as co-chair of the sports and entertainment group, my role, at least in my mind, is to continue to build this group out. It's got just a tremendous history and a real breadth of practice specialty that we can pretty much do everything within the industry. So that has been, you know, what I have probably focused my last two and a half years on is getting this group to a place where it deserves to be recognized and doing a lot of fun and interesting work.
0: And Can we talk even more about the group itself? It's funny because, John, unfortunately, I think I might identify you more with the sports and entertainment group than with labor and employment, which makes no sense. It's not that we have to choose. (laughs) But I think of you more in your co-chair capacity of that group. But I do think for me... So some of the listeners know, like I was a summer associate at Foley back in 2006. And so I've known of Foley for a lot longer than I have officially worked at the firm, which has been just the last two years. But you mentioned what I think maybe some people know, maybe some people don't, but Foley does have this long track record of having, I think, a robust sports and entertainment practice, you know, working with a lot of big name clients who we won't, you know, list on the podcast but that are household names. But if you could say more about the group that you you co-chair, like what you wish people knew.
1: Yeah, well, look, I mean, the history is pretty incredible. I mean, look, let's start with Bob DePay who I credit with sort of building this group out through his work with baseball and the relationship with the Milwaukee franchise is really but when Bob became, you know, second in command to Bud Selig, commissioner of, of Major League Baseball, I think that really began to grow this practice area or industry team, if you want to put it that way. And then when Bob came back to Foley, which was before I got here, it was still a lot about baseball. But I think we're now a different group, right? We're about pretty much every sport. If you look, we like to call ourselves the industry insiders. I think Andy told you about that on in his podcast. I mean, but we really are. I mean, Bob's still here, of course, and I'm here from the NBA, and Andy has his time with the New York Jets as general counsel, so the NFL. And... I've got Michael Wall up in Boston, who was general counsel for the Boston Bruins. So we got the NHL and Bobby Sharma is working with us. And Bobby worked with me at the NBA. And, you know, he and I together spent a lot of time building out the D League, now G League. So we've got this real cross-section of U.S. sports. We do a lot of work for, you know, U.S. government, you know, Olympic governing body stuff. So we're all over the map, but we have this... There's no other group out there that I know of that has the number of attorneys that actually held so, you know, high-level positions in pretty prominent sports-related organizations around the country, and it's a really unique setup. We pride ourselves on that because I think it gives us a real different view on client service and what our clients need and what they're dealing with, because we've all sat in that chair and we get it. We know what our clients and our contacts are up against when they're dealing with, you know, thorny difficult business or legal issues.
0: Well, and I'll say one housekeeping note. You mentioned Andy, and so episode seventy-three of the show is with Andy Lee, who's another member of the sports and entertainment group. So people want to hear, hear that just a few episodes earlier. And then I have to ask the question that particularly the law students, because you know, if there's a lot of law students who are like, I would I want to be a lawyer. I would love to work in the sports and entertainment industry. How do I do that? And I think I asked the same question of Andy, because I think this is the question that those early in their career and law students are wondering is, so what's your advice to someone who wants to be a sports and in the industry that you're in?
1: Yeah. Again, you could see from the story I told you, a lot of it is sometimes just happenstance. But of course, you have to go after the things that you're interested in. And I think there are any number of ways to get involved in sports. So, look, I do spend a lot of time talking to people who want to go to either law school or become lawyers or are interested in sports. And, you know, I think one, identifying what your specialty is and what areas you like to work in are pretty important. But understand there's a large landscape of sports. You could work for a company that's Doing business with sports, whether it's a commercial sponsor that's spending their time, there are a number of ways you can do it. Sometimes I tell people you should take a job in business Mm. at a league or something or apply, you know, for a team job that's not lawyer. It's not a lawyer's job. It's interesting the reaction I get when I say that is usually I don't know if my folks would be too happy to hear you telling me that I just went to law school and I'm not going to get a lawyer's job. Mm-hmm. I'm going to spend my time looking for something else, but you know like anything. Sometimes it takes two steps to the left to go forward or whatever, and I I think you should open your mind to all different paths here in searching for opportunity. But again, it's all about being proactive and as we said before, just like within a law firm, seeking out context?
0: Yeah, well, I think this show, it does a lot. There's a lot of things I, I try to check as we go through these, but I think one is also just remembering, and it's so cliche, but this is a marathon, not a sprint. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of times, Law students or junior attorneys are in. That's like I want to be there now, <laughs> right? I want to. I'm a year into my career, and I want to be head of the sports entertainment group. It's like, well, it could take you 25 years to get there. And how are you going to fill that time? What you were saying about you know working in, in these organizations in other capacities, which maybe in an ideal world you would have done that before you went to law school. Yeah,
1: <laughs> you know? but, well, right. but people but, don't always know exactly where how to go or where they want to be, and.
0: Exactly. But I also think attorneys, as usually very type A people, a lot of us, they want to have that perfectly planned out roadmap. And I think a lot of the stories you hear on the podcast is that some of the best things that happened to people were not at all planned out. You didn't plan, that wasn't on your five year plan at the time to go to the NBA, is what it sounds like. An opportunity presented itself, and you did. (laughs) And here you are. But I think that perspective is really, really valuable. So that's why I like eliciting it.
1: The, look, the other thing I'd say is we do a lot to try to involve, you know, our junior lawyers in what we're doing. I mean, we have what we call a Writers Guild, which is a group that meets every Thursday that is designed to sort of pump out thought pieces and written material on the latest developments in sports. And it's run by the associates. And we put together program. And again, this is for those that want to be involved. It's a good step, right? You get in the group, you work on these, you burnish your credentials in the space, you write some articles. Frankly, we had two of our associates go on and get in-house jobs in sports. Now, whether I credit that to the Writers Guild, I don't know for sure. But they were interested and they were passionate about what they were doing in the space. And that also then creates opportunity in billable work and contact with clients in the area.
0: I like that you call it the Writer's Guild. That just sounds like something I would want to be a part of. <laughs> versus,
1: It's a lot of fun. I think that's
0: wonderful. And also, I interrupted you. I think you were going to finish that thought.
1: To me, it's whether the opportunity is there in a structure like the Writer's Guild or it's something where you say, hey, I'm just going to start writing my own stuff and seeing if I can get it published and work with this partner. Because, you know, if you find the right people that want to support you within the firm, I think, again, there's a lot of opportunity, but you need to create, sometimes need to create it yourself. I'm glad we have tools and resources available to help associates in in many ways, but it also comes from the individual and their, their motivation and spirit.
0: I love that you said motivation and spirit. It ties it right back to what we were talking about about 20 minutes ago, which is if you're interested in this in the work you're doing, it's a lot easier to do the things you just mentioned because hopefully you're sort of learning about that stuff anyway. Hopefully you would have thinking about that and now you get to write about it. Well, and as we go to my last few questions for you, I did want to circle back to what you said about Foley. I'd be remiss to get you on the podcast and not go slightly into Foley propaganda mode, which is... If you could say more about, I mean, and we've talked about the sports entertainment group itself, but about Foley, you know, and, and what's kept you here and what you enjoy about the firm. Are there things you'd like people to know about generally just about Foley and Lardner?
1: That's an important question. And I do think I bring a little bit of a different insight. I'm not a Foley lifer. I've worked at other law firms and had good experiences in all of them. But there is something about Foley that drew me here and keeps me here, which is, is the personality of the place. Now, I like to say, I don't know, whether it's the Midwest thing, I have no idea. I don't know what that means. People say, what is Midwest values to you? I'm like, I I don't know. I don't know what that means. But I do have my own definition, which is kind of a lack of pretense. I feel there is just not that edge in terms of pretension. People are Very down to earth and real here, generally, and it's twelve hundred lawyers or whatever we are. So there's a cross section. There are personalities of all type, but that was really important to me. I'm a California guy still. The draw still here, and you know I wanted to be in a place where I felt like I could be comfortable, and I didn't, I didn't want that pretension that often goes along with you know a lot of high end law firms, but still practice in an incredible place with really smart, capable people doing really interesting work. And that's always been important. But finding the right personality in the place is key. And the only negative, I'd say, is sometimes this place has too much modesty.
0: Mm, You're right.
1: People don't like to talk about, you know, how well they did. And I'm the same way in a lot of ways. I know we spent an hour talking about me, which is not something I usually like to do. But Sometimes I think the firm needs to say, hey, we shouldn't be so modest. We need to toot our horn because we're doing a lot of great work here. There's a lot of amazing people here. And maybe it's just a little bit of marketing, as you say, but it deserves it because it is doing quality work for really great clients. And it's just a a really quality group of lawyers.
0: I love that you said that about the the modesty. So I also have worked in a, a number of large law firms and joining Foley, there were certain things I would discover that Foley had done Maybe a few years ago, and I would be like, "Oh, was there a press release about that?" Or where? And oh no, no, we just we just did it. We didn't we didn't tell anybody it was the right thing to do, which I appreciated, but was like maybe we could tell a few people going forward, which I know we're doing more of. But I think I think what you said is just right. But anyway, as we are winding down, I have two final substantive questions that you really only need to answer one of them. But the first is, is there anything you want to talk about that we haven't touched on? And then the question after that is overall advice. You've given some great advice, but what's your sort of overall advice to that law student or someone early in their career? I
1: don't know if I really have anything that I haven't said that I would say, for one. And I'm not sure there's any other advice, I mean, than what I've given, which is do this if you're interested. Take the time to understand before you get into it. I mean, that's what I did. And it made a big difference for me to know exactly what the world of law would present. And then I do think controlling your career, understanding that you can put the hands on the wheel and take yourself to those places where you think you're going to be most happy as a practitioner. And it may not be at your current firm, it may not be you know, in your current job, But understanding and keeping your eyes open and being proactive and pursuing your interests and knowing you can somehow dictate what might happen to you is something everybody should remember, whether you're a lawyer or not.
0: (laughs) That is, I think, perfect advice. My final, final question that I ask every guest is if someone has comments or questions, can they feel free to find you on Foley's website and send you an email?
1: Of course. Of course. Happy to do so.
0: Thank you so much for being on the podcast, John.
1: All right. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to The Path and the Practice. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and join us again next time. And if you did enjoy it, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review, as your feedback on the podcast is important to us. Also, please note that this podcast may be considered attorney advertising and is made available by Foley & Lardner LLP for informational purposes only. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship. Any opinions expressed herein do not necessarily reflect the views of Foley and Lardner, LLP, its partners or its clients. Additionally, this podcast is not meant to convey the firm's legal position on behalf of any client, nor is it intended to convey specific legal advice.